Well, greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here in the house of God and worship the Lord, the beauty of holiness. I think I'm missing my water up here. Someone could bring me some, please. This morning I... Um, I'm planning to preach on a history of God's people. And you can turn for a text to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 will be our text. Thank you. It has been a bit of a burden on my heart as one of the necessary things to teach is the history in the Old Testament of God's people. Uh, I say it's a burden it's because I sense it and maybe it's a bit of a weak spot. We tend to look at many of the stories in the Old Testament. We have stories about uh, Samuel and we have stories about Daniel and Samson and, and uh, Solomon and I fear sometimes we don't have a good grasp of the correct timeline and chronology. Um, and in some respects, maybe we think that's not quite so important as the more urgent things of salvation and faith. And, and perhaps it is, and maybe that's why we don't preach on it real often. But it is important for us to understand history. And it's good for us to have a good grasp of history, uh, both in its correct chronology and also to understand what some of the lessons were that God intended for us to learn. It is very clear from the New Testament that those things that happened to them were for examples or examples to us. And the examples are manyfold. Uh, let me illustrate with this. We have the account of the children of Israel leaving the land of Egypt by a mighty and glorious deliverance from God. He brought them through the Red Sea. Now, when we read that account, we see that Moses had faith in God. God proved himself mighty. And so we read that account and we draw from it a, a, uh, an example of believing and trusting God in the face of a very difficult and dangerous situations. Um, they, even though some of them were, were quite fearful, Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And God brought him out with a with a mighty and stretched out arm, it says. So we can draw from that, that story, that account, uh, how we should have faith in God, to trust God, to believe God, even to the point of miracles. But there's a deeper lesson also in that whole incident there of God bringing them out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea, we have a picture of us being delivered from this world of sin, being taken out of the house of bondage, out of the darkness that we were in, and taken and having a glorious deliverance and ultimately to the promised land, which is a land of rest. And that is a picture of the future. In the New Testament, that very uh, 
incident is used uh, for a figure of baptism. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And it's a, it's a figure of baptism. So that's just one example of a multifaceted event where there are different things we can draw from it, both a specific example of faith and trust and also a bigger picture of what it represents in the Christian life. So when we look at history, there are those various things we can draw out of it. Now, we think of the story of Abraham. We know it well. But Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. And we feel pretty distant and disconnected, perhaps, from Abraham, even though we think of him as a man of faith. But the promises that God made to Abraham were for our benefit. When God promised that in Abraham, that in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, that's us. We are receiving the blessing that was promised to Abraham. And we have been allowed to be grafted in to the family of God. So when I say a history of God's people, I use the, the article A instead of the because we're not going to look at the whole history, but a history. And what I'd like to cover particularly today is from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ. This is basically what Stephen covered here in his sermon when he was called before the council there to give an account. So let's read here in Acts chapter 7. Then the high priest, I'm sorry, then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Herod, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land, wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage, and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begat Isaac, and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers. And they were carried over into Sychem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sychem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, 
till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? 
Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which have showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I'm not planning to speak particularly about Stephen's martyrdom here. But I read this because Stephen gave an account of their history. And when he had finished, he had made such a clear case of God's working down through history that they were pricked in their hearts because these were God's people. And they prided themselves in being God's people, but they did not believe and did not hear God when he spoke to them by his Son. In the book of Hebrews, it says that God in past times spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And here these people who were of his kindred and should have been hearing him, refused. They, um, and Stephen made this very clear, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And said that they have been the betrayers and murderers of this Holy One. I'd like for us to, before we look at some of the details of this history, to understand that history is an account of God working among his people. And when we read this Old Testament history and realizing that we have been grafted in, it then becomes our history of the root of our tree, of which we are now the branches. And we should be very careful that we don't boast against the root because the root bears us, not we the, the root. And if we forsake the Lord, we also shall be cut off, even as they. So... I would like for this history to inspire us as, a, as an evidence of God's plan and provision and his providence for his people. God provides for us. We have a history. We have a past. We have a present in which God is working for us. And we have a future that has been prepared for us just as surely as he did for the children of Israel. From the beginning of time, from Adam onward, there were righteous people. There was a righteous lineage that is recorded there in the book of Genesis, 
all the way to the flood, you have Noah who found grace in the eyes of God. And he had been taught about God down through his lineage. And he uh, taught his sons and through that, even though the rest of the world at the time was forsaking God, they had only evil in their hearts continually, yet in Noah was found a favor with God because he believed God, he trusted God, and he was moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. After the flood, you have a righteous lineage, but they very quickly uh, became a small percentage of the population as men's hearts turned away from God. You have the Tower of Babel that was built. God confounded the languages. They were scattered abroad, but in the land of Mesopotamia, there was a man uh, named Abram who was born. Now, that is where Stephen picks up the story. He begins with Abraham. And it is, according to the historical record, that is where God began to work. And he made the promises to Abraham. It wasn't to his father, Terah. It wasn't to his grandfather, It wasn't to his great-grandfather these promises were made to Abraham. And it's been a, a, a difficult thing for people to acknowledge or recognize that God selected, we, from man's point of view it seems maybe a bit arbitrary, meaning to, you know, to what purpose? Why did God choose Abraham and then... Um, Isaac, who was the seed of promise, not his other son Ishmael, but through Isaac was the promise given. And why did God just choose certain people and not include everyone? Well, that's a big subject in itself, but it's very clear from Scripture that God was choosing a people for himself And they were separate from all the peoples of the earth. And it wasn't because of their goodness or greatness. It's made clear in the New Testament that it was because of God's choice. But it was also God's uh, provision that other people could join themselves to the people of God. We do have some of that. And then in Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the door was open for the Gentiles. But it's important for us to recognize that God did choose a people. He had a plan. He gave the promises through Abraham and to his seed after him. And it was through that lineage that the promised one came. It's also the reason why to this day Satan has such an aversion to the people of God, both the natural people who were the Jews and to those who became heirs of the promise, which are the Christians. They also were grafted in. Those things are still being... um, taking their place in history. Today, in the United States, they have what is called hate crimes. Hate crimes, it's kind of the catchphrase these days for anything that seems to oppose some other people by reason of race or class or whatever. And there are actually special laws that are a little more stringent on hate crimes if they are proven. But statistically in the United States, the people that suffer the most hate crimes in terms of numbers are the Jews. More anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish feeling is present here in the United States, one of the nations probably most friendly overall to the Jews. And yet, even here, the Jews suffer a greater proportion of hatred 
and even violence against them than any other segment of the population. You might not read that on the daily news, but statistically that is true. And it's because God had a people who chose them out, and Satan hates that and opposes that. So back to our history. Um, I'll give you just a few um, memory aids for your timeline. You may have struggled in grade school to remember all the dates that you needed to remember for your test on history, such as when did Columbus discover America and all those things. Well, that's not so important, but here's some memory aids to place the timing. Um, Stephen started out with Abraham, and Abraham was born almost 2,000 years before Christ. Within, I think if I looked it up on Usher's chronology, he would make it 1,994 years. Or was it 96? I think maybe it was 1,996 years before Christ was the date that Abraham was born. So it's within a few years of 2000, which it helps me in round numbers to just put that in perspective. 2000 years before Christ, Abraham was born. Stephen goes all the way to Solomon in verse 47. It says, but Solomon built him a house. And the building of the temple, Solomon's temple is, and I wish I should have looked at this date, but it is very close to exactly 1,000 years before Christ that Solomon's temple was, was built. Um, I'm not sure of the, I should have, like I said, should have looked up, but the dedication of the temple, I don't know how close that matched to the 1,000 years, but it was very close to 1,000 years before Christ that Solomon's temple was, was uh, first uh, used. So Stephen covered a period from Abraham to Solomon of 1,000 years. And then from Solomon, or the building of the temple, which was actually well into Solomon's lifetime, but the temple to Christ was about a thousand years. So when Stephen is talking and preaching to these people who are the descendants of Abraham, they are the direct lineage through whom Christ came, they have the Sanhedrin, the uh, 70, there's the high priest, which was of the lineage of Aaron. They have the, uh, the Sanhedrin, which corresponds to the 70 elders that Moses set up. I mean, they're living these, this history. When he speaks of Solomon's temple, they know, oh yeah, right here, this temple where we worship, that was you know first built by Solomon, then it was destroyed by the Babylonians, and then it was rebuilt under Nehemiah. And, uh, and Ezra, and, and, um, and then Herod restored it, and here it is. You know, it's, it's right there. He's, this is the temple he's talking about. When he talked about Abraham being promised this land as an inheritance, you know, it was this land. It's, it's where we are. He's preaching in Jerusalem. It's, it's their land. And... So all of this history made, made sense to them. I mean, it was, it was their history. As Stephen goes through this history, he hits some of the main points. He doesn't cover nearly all of it. Uh, for example, he spends more time talking about the incident of 
Moses and the strife that he tried to settle and how they rejected his efforts there and how he killed the Egyptian, there's more time spent on that than describing what happened at the Red Sea. Uh, he just says there, he brought them out after he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, which would have been the ten plagues and the death of the firstborn, and in the Red Sea. No mention of the miracle of the water party. It just mentions the great, you know, great wonders in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. And there he... Um, he goes on then to speak a little bit about the incident there at the, uh, at the mount where they made the calf and all that. Um, but now to just look at some of the history sequentially. We have from the time of Abraham, which as I said was about 2,000 years prior to Christ, you have the lineage then, there was Abraham, there was Isaac, and there was Jacob. And I'd like to just uh, at this point maybe interject what we have in Matthew chapter 1 about the lineage of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 17 it says this, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away of into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now, if you fit that into the uh, timeline that I just laid out, of a thousand years from the time of Abraham to Solomon, you have here 14 generations from Abraham to David, which was just prior to Solomon. But then from David's time to Christ, you have two 14s or 28 generations. So how is it that there were only 14 generations to David but 28 from David to Christ, whereas Solomon, the next generation after David, was a thousand years. It was a thousand years from Abraham to Solomon, and then a thousand from Solomon to Christ. Well, one of the reasons is that in those first generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was quite a span of years, much longer than there were in subsequent generations. Because you have Abraham being 100 years old before Isaac was born. Isaac was 40 years old when he was married, and it was 20 years later before he had his two sons. So there is a period of 160 years before Isaac I'm sorry, before Jacob was born. And then Jacob was 70 years old before he began having children. Joseph, one of the patriarchs, was born when, when Jacob was 91 years old. He called him the son of his old age. So there you have quite a span of years in those first three generations. So you have them from the time of Abraham till the time they left, the children of Israel left the land of Egypt is a period of, I think in, the, uh, in one of the sermons there in Acts it calls it 430 years. And there's another place where it talks about 400 years. And it's a difference when you're counting whether from the time of Abraham being in Egypt in the time of the promise or until the time that uh, um, maybe the time of Joseph and so on. I, I won't get into all of that uh, exact chronology, but 
They were in the land of Egypt there for many years until, as Stephen said here, there rose up a ruler which knew not Joseph. See, we have that in verse 18. Till another king arose which knew not Joseph. So this was a period of some hundreds of years that they were in the land of Egypt. We have Moses growing up to about the age of 40 when he took this upon himself to try and deliver his brethren. Verse 23, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit the brethren. And seeing one of them suffer, he tried to defend him and avenge him. That didn't work, so... He fled Egypt and went into the land of Midian and was there for 40 years. And then he had this uh, time there, the flame of fire in the bush. God called him to go back to Egypt and lead the people out, which he did. He went back and they had the signs and wonders there in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness and then... During that time of being in the land, in the wilderness there, I believe it was maybe a period of about a year and a half in which they had the visitation from God on Mount Sinai. And that is one of the most um, important points in all the annals of history is God coming down on Mount Sinai and visiting his people, and giving them the Ten Commandments. And Stephen made reference to that in several ways. He mentioned at the very end of his sermon, he said, who have received the law by the disposition of angels. And that would be reference to that that took place on Mount Sinai. And he also... um, mentions that in verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. I believe Moses literally saw a model of what he was supposed to build. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, God showed him. He saw with his own eyes how it was supposed to look. And they built this tabernacle. And of course, that's a, a whole picture in itself, this tabernacle. But anyway, back to our chronology here. During this year and a half, they had the visitation on Mount Sinai. They had the time there where they uh, made this calf, and God was displeased with their... Uh, turning back in their hearts to Egypt. And he punished them for it. But then they came after that event. They traveled onward, came to the land of Canaan. God had promised to take them in. They had the time of the spies there who came back, some of them with an evil report, some with a good report. And then, you know, that they rebelled in their hearts and would not believe God and could not enter in because of unbelief. So God had them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation should die. So for the next 40 years, they traveled in the wilderness. And then again they came up to the land of Canaan. And this time... They crossed over in the Jordan River and God brought them into this land of promise. Now this is a fulfillment of many, many years prior in the promise that he had made to Abraham that to thee and thy seed will I give this land. So here they came into the land of promise. Joshua, which here in in the account... It's in verse 45, it says, Which also our fathers that came after brought in with 
Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. That is actually referring to Joshua. And the reason they use Joshua and Jesus somewhat interchangeably is because of the, uh, the Aramaic language and the translation in the Septuagint. Uh, it's a very closely related name, or actually the same name in two different languages, Jesus and Joshua. And of course, the fact that Joshua was a type of Christ is also significant. So after they came into the land of Canaan, God drove out many of the inhabitants, but they did not drive all of them out. But for the next hundreds of years, they had the period known as the time of the judges. Now this is one that's maybe a little bit foggy and confusing in our mind, uh, and there's a reason for that. Uh, let me show you here, if you turn in Acts over to chapter 13, and here's another sermon by Paul. Verse 17, Acts 13, verse 17. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. Now we'll stop there. But I wanted to note here that Paul says it was about the space of 450 years that they had judges. Now it is during the time of the judges that we have the stories of, of Samson, or actually before Samson there would have been uh, Deborah, and then there was Gideon, and some of the others, Samson was in there, Jephthah, and various ones. One of the reasons why it's a little bit foggy is that there was not an exact sequence, though yes, they did follow each other in various times, but we have here a period of 450 years, approximately. We try to wrap our minds around that. We think of our nation here in America as only been just shy of 250 years that this nation has actually been a sovereign nation. That's not real long historically. Um, so think of this a much longer period of time, 450 years. But let's take a note back in the book of Judges, what it says about this time period. In Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And when Joshua had let, the pe had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Heras, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. You see what happened when they forgot their history? See, when we read history and consider all these things, it's important for us to remember that these were the works of the Lord. God did marvelous things for them. And they were supposed to be remembering these things. God did this for you. Let's read on. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could no longer, could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said. And as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppress them and vex them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. So there is a cycle that kept repeating itself. You have... Joshua, who taught them clearly the things of the Lord. And then after he passed away, the elders, which knew the works of the Lord, uh, guided the people. Uh, it said, uh, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. But then... The people began to forget the Lord. There was a generation that did not remember the works that the Lord had done for Israel. I'll just note here that in God's eyes this happened quickly. But when we think from our perspective, this was generations. We have Joshua, then the elders that outlived him, and then the people forgot the Lord. And then God would raise up a judge who would deliver the people. And some of those judges reigned for 20 years. Some of them for 40 years. And during that time, it seemed the people would remember the Lord. And, and he was gracious unto them. And then the people would fall away again. So what we see as generations, even lifetimes, God sees that as quickly. As he says there in, which verse was it, 17 or 18, they turned quickly and went after other gods. So for a period of about 450 years, and the time that the judges ruled was varying, it didn't seem like it happened immediately after Joshua's death, so there's some gaps there and then 
you have, I think the first one that is mentioned is Othniel, and then Ehud, and then uh, Shamgar, and then Deborah, and then after Deborah, Gideon, and so on. For 450 years, and then it was to the Samuel the prophet. Samuel was a judge in Israel. He was the last of the judges. He was also what was considered the first of the prophets, even though sometimes some like Abraham and Isaac are referred to as prophets. But generally, in their history, they considered the time of the prophets to begin with Samuel. Samuel anointed the first king, David. And so Samuel was a very prominent figure. We even have the two books of Samuel that record the history. He anointed David, and then from the time of David onward was the time of the kings. And David, no, I'm sorry, we have Saul. I'm forgetting Saul there as the first king. In studying the history of Saul some time back, I tried to find out how long he reigned. And the, it is not recorded in the book of uh, Samuel, nor in Kings, how long Saul reigned in Israel. Many details, but not the length of his reign. And it's not until you read it here in Acts chapter 13 where Paul, in preaching, says that he reigned by the space of 40 years. And now that's interesting. Uh, and it tells us that Paul and probably others like Stephen and so on had access to history that isn't all recorded in the Old Testament accounts or, or there's additional things that they knew that we don't. So it was during the time of, of uh, the first king there or considering Samuel, considered the first of the prophets, the last of the judges, he anointed both Saul and David. So Samuel's time there was, was very lengthy. And we have then Saul reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years, and Solomon, his son, reigned 40 years. And it seemed like there was an increase there in those years. Under David, the kingdom grew tremendously, and it was under uh, Solomon then, which there was no wars during the years of Solomon. And it was Solomon that built the house, the temple, and that was what we would think of as the high point of the children of Israel's um, stay in the land of Canaan. It was after um, Solomon then that the kingdom was divided. Rehoboam and Jeroboam and then you have the divided kingdom and these uh, kingdoms, the two kingdoms, still continued onward for several hundred years and then you have them carried away captive, first the northern kingdom and then eventually the southern kingdom, which was Judah and the city of Jerusalem. They were carried away captive unto Babylon. They were in Babylon for 70 years. And during that time of Babylon, you have Daniel, the prophet, and you have uh, then after that captivity, they came back to the land of Israel the city or the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt under Nehemiah. And in Ezra's day, I believe it was that they built the temple. And so, now where did the prophets come in? Well, some of the prophets, Samuel being the first one, then you have Elijah and Elisha during the times of the kings and the other prophets Isaiah would have been there during the time of Hezekiah and actually several other kings. And then all of the minor prophets were either 
during the time of the kingdom or during the time of the Babylonian captivity and a few of them in the time of, of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And then where that history ends, we have a period of nearly 400 years that are sometimes referred to as the 400 silent years because there was no prophet in the people of Israel uh, during that time until we have the days of John the Baptist who came announcing the kingdom of Christ. So that's 2,000 years of history. Now, I suppose you won't remember all of that. But remember this, that God works and moves through history. He is in control of all these things. It tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. But you see all these things that went before, the promise to Abraham, the preservation of the lineage, the promise came through uh, Isaac, <clears throat> excuse me, and then God brought them through the wilderness. He brought them into the land of promise. He kept them for a space of 450 years under the judges until Samuel. And then there was the time of the kings, and that was, I don't have the exact number, but I'm thinking it was some over 400 years that they were under the kings. And, the, and, the, and that would have been the, the um, prominence of the kingdom of Israel. Then because of their sin, they were carried away captive into Babylon, were there for 70 years, and then came back, rebuilt. And then there was a time after that of 400 years of silence until Christ. So, referring back again to Matthew, you have the 14 generations from Adam, I'm sorry, from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the carrying away captive in Babylon, and then 14 generations from then to Christ. Kind of divided in those, those segments. So I hope these help fix some of that in your mind and also to remember the marvelous works of God that he did from time to time. And as I uh, think of their history, I think too that in the 2,000 years since Christ, God has also preserved his church. It's not recorded as we think of in scripture, but other than the very earliest years there, but God has, down through history, also preserved his church in very marvelous ways. And it's also instructive for us. Uh, two other little uh, tidbits of history. Josephus was a historian during the time of Christ. He was a Jewish historian, and his works and writings are still available today, giving a history of the Jewish people from the beginning of time, he would say that just prior to the flood, Methuselah, who would have been able to visit with Adam, that Methuselah and Noah and his son Shem uh, had two stones, large stones, that they engraved the history of the world up to that point in time. And that these stones were then available post-flood to Moses when he studied. And actually it's attributed to Moses that he wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through um, the Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But he would have had access to that history where the books referred to as what Moses studied. It was those pillars that were made by 
Methuselah, um, Noah, and Shem. It'd be interesting if they were to be found today. Because things carved in stone last for many years. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, that was a remarkable point in history, and it's also historically, perhaps through Josephus, it's um, said that Solomon reared up some stone pillars at the crossing of the Red Sea, and those, at least one of those pillars is still there to this day and could be seen. Um, so this is not just obscure history. It's history that comes down to us to this day. And it's a working of God's uh, moving in his people, a history of God's people. May the Lord bless with that.